We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Marutha. Uh, Alex, uh, two podcasts in two weeks. Uh, we kind of went dark uh, for about a month over the summer and the, the true dead period of the NBA offseason after free agency, after summer league, after uh, what we thought, you know, most of the trades around the league had been done. You know, the Kevin Durant situation had died down. And then here we are. Uh, you know, last week we get the news that Donovan Mitchell uh, heading to the Cleveland Cavaliers. By now, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you've listened to like eight podcasts that have already detailed uh, in full this trade. So we won't, you know, we won't go through and, and do a super detailed account. But you know, you and I wrapped up a podcast basically right before this news broke last week. So we haven't truly had a chance to discuss it. Um, one, I, I'm curious. You know, do you do you feel like the Cavs made the right move here? You know, do you think they gave themselves uh, enough of a runway now with Mitchell in tow to potentially compete for several years in the East? And then after that, I want to get into what are the potential fantasy ramifications of this deal for the immediate future? I love this deal for Cleveland. I think it was the right deal to make. You, uh, The relationship between the team and Colin Sexton seemed not to be going well. And I, the signing of Laurie Markkinen in the first place was confusing. So dumping Laurie Markkinen and upgrading the position at shooting guard to get Donovan Mitchell I think was awesome. Even... I mean, I might be in the top like 1% of Colin Sexton believers, but obviously getting Mitchell is the right move here. And, you know, especially because this is a team now with significant playoff uh, aspirations, you would think that they think that they can win a first round series with this lineup. I think getting getting a proven playoff player in Mitchell who has had monster playoff games, monster playoff series in the past to pair with, you know, these young and up and coming guys, Garland, uh, Allen, Mobley. It's just the right thing to do. They have one of the best young cores in the East now. I agree. I agree. And they did it really without giving up any meaningful pieces. You know, obviously, if you would have had to send 
Jared Allen or Darius Garland or God forbid Evan Mobley back to Utah in this deal, you'd like it quite a bit less, but you know, you, you basically give away a guy who, you know, is coming off of an injury and barely played for you last year in Sexton. And I, I think it was clear that they maybe didn't quite value him at the level that, that he and his representation valued himself. So in some ways you, you just kind of punt on having to make that decision of whether you even sign him. Uh, and obviously as part of this deal, you know, he gets the, the sign and trade contract in Utah. So if you're the Cavs, you know, you, you don't have to commit to a player that clearly you were not all that committed to in the first place. You know, you do have to dump Laurie marketing, um, you know, not coming off of a great year by any means, but I, I still think there was a chance that uh, he could have turned into a productive player in, in Cleveland, but ultimately a pretty small price to pay to bring in someone of Mitchell's caliber. Now, of course you're, you're mortgaging your future. That seems to be just the rate of doing business at this, at this point, if you're going to trade for, not even a superstar, but just a star. I mean, any top 20 to 25 player, it feels like is commanding, you know, a treasure trove of picks, unless you're giving up uh, a major asset. We're seeing more and more teams opt for these pick centric packages and, and Utah now, I mean, they rival new Orleans, they rival Oklahoma city in terms of the future draft capital that they've accumulated. Now I, I think with Cleveland, like, this is not a team that's going to be picking you would hope in the lottery anytime soon. And, you know, they have enough depth now between Allen Mobley, Garland Mitchell, that even if one of those guys were to suffer like a season ending injury, this team's not going to bottom out, you know? So I think if I'm Utah, it's like, yeah, it's great. You get the swabs, you get the picks, but there are, there are very few scenarios to me in which any of those picks are, you know, coming above pick 16, 17, 18, 19. Like that feels like the worst case uh, as long as Donovan Mitchell is on this team. Yeah. It's pretty hard for me to envision them or it's pretty, I should say, it's pretty easy for me to envision them as currently constructed as the fifth best team in the East, maybe the sixth. If you're talking, they're behind the Celtics, Bucks, Nets, 76ers, kind of in that Heat, Raptors, Hawks, Bulls sort of mix right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that they won 44 games last year dealing with uh, an injury to, I mean, Colin Sexton played 11 games. So you're basically taking the exact same roster minus Laurie Markkinen, who I don't even know if he's really that effective for them at all. You're taking that exact roster and just adding Donovan Mitchell. So like you said, even if someone suffers a season ending injury, this should be a 40 win team. So yeah, those, those picks will uh, be in the late lottery at the absolute, what feels like absolute worst case scenario. Yeah. Well, it's interesting for the immediate future because if you look at the books, like there was significant movement. I mean, the Cavs were, they were, you know, as high as like 90 to one at some books, even a hundred to one when the odds first came out uh, to win the title this season. And, you know, now at, at points bet and bet MGM, they're down to 30 to one FanDuel 33 to one DraftKings 35 to one, but they're still closer in terms of the odds to teams like Atlanta, Chicago, Toronto, than they are to teams like Brooklyn, Philly, and Miami. And, and of course, you know, we're setting aside, uh, Boston, which is the proverbial favorite, and and the the Milwaukee Bucks as well. So, despite adding Donovan Mitchell, despite having an, a, a really strong top four, I, I think you know this move now you know takes a lot of pressure off of Karis LeVert. You basically got a way better version of Karis LeVert in Donovan Mitchell, uh, and like you said, you know it's it's a huge upgrade over Colin Sexton, even if he's healthy. So personnel wise, I love the move. It's just interesting that you can, you know, the way that the East is is just so stacked right now. Like you can add Donovan Mitchell to a good team that we all like. And according to the odds makers, it still makes you only the sixth best team in your own conference. Yeah. I think some of this, it's hard to exactly gauge if these odds are accurate or not, because there has to be a lot of projecting done with Evan Mobley. 
Like we already know Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Donovan Mitchell are all-star caliber players. If Evan Mobley can take a leap, like a lot of people think he can, then this, you know, 18 to one to win the Eastern Conference, 30 to one to win the NBA title is going to seem low. Um, you know, it it's hard to say because there's there's no way to know until it's on the court. But if he can start hitting threes better, he was already an amazing defender, but he's going to be out on the perimeter bothering people. Um, you know, if they can end up being like a top 10, top eight defense or something like that, obviously they have offensive weapons too. They're not very deep, but that's what happens when you trade, you know, for someone like Donovan Mitchell. Um, they, I mean, they have, they have really high upside. It, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, if they end up better than the heat for sure. And are, are decidedly the fifth best team in the East. Yeah. I think there's a good chance that, you know, at least one of those teams, Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly, Miami, like one of those teams has a, a key injury that knocks them down to standings. I mean, the Nets, the Nets have to be installed. I mean, they're at seven to one right now at the DraftKings Sportsbook. I, I think to be honest, that's, that's a little preposterous, but um, <laughs> you know, that that's one that more reflects the betting market than reflects the, the actual likelihood of the Nets winning the title, at least in my opinion. Um, so you, you are right to, uh, to point out that, you know, this isn't a direct reflection of like, these are the exact odds to win the title. That's not necessarily uh, what they are, but um, you know, in some ways it's, it's, you know, weirdly similar to the Minnesota Timberwolves who traded for the other Utah star. And, you know, at DraftKings, they have the seventh best odds to win the Western conference. You know, they're still behind teams like Memphis, Denver, and Dallas, uh, despite picking up a, a top 20 to 30 player in the entire league. So, you know, part of it is you just have to see it happen first. You know, maybe for as much as we like this team, maybe they look even better. Uh, maybe Evan Mobley takes a, a bigger step in year two, uh, a step that maybe would normally come in year three or four. I mean, he's he's definitely that type of player. It could happen. Um, I, I would be more interested in placing, like if, if it was possible to place a Cavaliers 2025 NBA title bet right now <laughs> at 40 to one, I would do that. Uh, but, but for me, I mean, this is a move that it definitely makes you better next season, but I, I, I would hope that the Cavs are going into next year thinking it's like a title or bust with Donovan Mitchell. I, I think what's what's nice about acquiring Mitchell at this age and on this contract with three more years um, is he can grow with the rest of this core. Is I, you know, I think this is going to be a team that, you know, one of those five teams above them in the East, you know, one of those teams is going to drop off in the next one to two to three years. We don't we don't know which one. Something's going to happen. Um, but, you know, there, there's it's not just going to be the same teams every single year. The Cavs are, are just going to be steadily improving. Well, it feels like those other teams, you know, maybe are, are going to struggle to maintain where they're at right now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, the Celtics probably got a little bit better with Brogdon. Bucks didn't do yeah. anything. Nets are a mess. 76ers, I think, got better. Heat maybe got worse. Um, Raptors, neutral. Yeah, I, I think depends. the Heat are a wash. I mean, Miami's interesting. Like, they're the team that I would point to, like, based on the age of their best player and Jimmy Butler. It's like, you'd think that maybe they would be the first to fall off. I mean, I, I'm not saying like any one of these teams specifically is going to be a 30 win team in two years, but just, that's just how the NBA tends to work. You know, like it, it, right. it seems like these rosters are set in stone now and, you know, Jason Tatum is going to be a Celtic forever and Giannis will be on the bucks forever. But I feel like the NBA has taught us that things can change so quickly that you can't just sit there and say like the top six in the East are going to be the top six for the next four years. Yeah, exactly. And a team like the Heat, they don't have a huge margin for error. You know, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry are both injury prone. You know, there there could be a season where both those guys just, they play 65 combined games because of what age, rest, general injury. And then all of a sudden it's like Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo trying to win games in the East with like mm -hmm. 
hardly any backup support. So, um, yeah, I, overall, I love this trade for the Cavs. Um, for the Jazz, or I mean, do you want to do you want to touch on the like fantasy stuff for for Mitchell and Garland, or do you just feel like that's a small drop for both of them? And it's it's more about like what what's going on in Utah. Yeah, well, let's yeah, let's touch on that quickly, and then we could get to the Jazz side of this. You know, both your your thoughts on the trade overall, and then you know what's going to become a a very messy situation uh, for fantasy because I, I don't think the Jazz are done wheeling and dealing necessarily uh, before October eighteenth. But um, yeah, I mean, we we went in and we kind of did some some manual editing to our projections with both Garland and Mitchell. Um, you know, knocked them down a little bit. It, it feels like there's really no way uh, that you know, Garland especially is going to have to give up some scoring to Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, for the most part, Garland assist wise, you know, we, we didn't change a whole lot, but we did knock him down, um, you know, one or two points per game. And, and with Mitchell, you know, any improvements that we thought we might see in Utah, especially if he began the season in Utah, I mean, it, it was completely conceivable that he could average like 32 a game for the first couple months of the year, based on what that team might look like if, if he was kind of the lone remaining guy uh, on an otherwise stripped down team. But you know, he, I, I didn't want to knock down Mitchell too much because yes, he's on it. He's on a good team in, in the Cleveland Cavaliers, but is this team, is it that much more talented than, than we thought the jazz were like two or three years ago? Like when they first got Mike Conley, um, you know, I, I like the Cavs more in terms of upside and in terms of what they can be over the next couple of years. And I, I think if you compare those rosters, man to man, the Cavs are probably better, but that Utah team was pretty deep and, you know, Mitchell was still like a 25 point per game scorer. Uh, despite having a lot of really good players around him. So, you know, the move to Cleveland, like it it obviously means he's going to be sharing playmaking duties, sharing scoring duties with guys like Garland and, and Mobley and Allen. But we've already kind of seen him do that before in Utah. So I, I don't think we're going to see a, a massive decline for Mitchell. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think, you know, the, the Cavs are pretty shallow. So I think what's best for them is going to be to stagger some of their stars as much as possible, you know, have two on the court at all times, you know, try pairing Garland with Mobley and Mitchell with um, Allen or the other way around um, just kind of staggering those guys uh, to basically allow Mitchell and Garland to ha- maximize the amount of time that they get to run the offense. So I think there is a good chance, like you mentioned that the, the, the drop in production is relatively minimal and that you can kind of draft both these guys in fantasy roughly where you were expecting to draft them before the trade, maybe like a half round to a full round later, but depending on where you land in a snake draft, you know, you, you're going to end up drafting them in the same round you would before anyway. Right. So let's get to the Utah portion of this. I mean, as it stands right now, it'll likely be Mike Conley, Colin Sexton, Bojan Bogdanovich, Laurie Markinen, and it could be Walker Kessler. It could be Yudoka Azubuki. It could be Jared Vanderbilt. It could be a player who's yet to even, you know, make his name on this roster uh, who ends up starting at center. Uh, they still have Jordan Clarkson. Uh, you, know, you have Malik Beasley, a couple other guys you got from Minnesota, Taylor Horton Tucker uh, in that Patrick Beverly Lakers deal, Stanley Johnson. I mean, it is this roster, I, I think, is going to look completely different, um, even just within the next three to four weeks. I, I think Bogdanovich could be had. I think Conley could be had. Um, you know, Clarkson, to me, a, a lot of teams are going to be interested in. They'll probably hold on to Markkanen, you would think, but uh, I, really, I don't. I don't think there's a, a an untouchable player on this roster right now. No, I don't think so. I know the, you know, Bogdanovich and Mike Conley for Russell Westbrook thing has been floated around. 
I, I can I can envision that happening. I but I think Utah just has to I think they're pretty focused on just getting these guys off the roster. Uh I don't think they probably want to start the season with them at training camp. So I think whatever offer is best clo- uh close to the end of the month is is going to be what they end up doing. So I uh if you're in some super early drafts, you know, I think you can draft Sexton and Marketing with pretty good confidence that they'll be focal points, if not the number one and number two options on this team come October. Uh, if you're in some later drafts, obviously you'll you'll kind of find out uh, then. But I don't think Bogdanovich and Conley will be on the roster. No, and you know I, I think there's a pretty good chance that Conley, especially, takes a pretty big step back fantasy wise. I mean, he was he was quietly really bad for for a lot of last season, including down the stretch. And he just he just kind of looks like he might be entering a new phase of his career. And there are definitely going to be teams that could use him, but I, I don't see him you know, landing in a situation where, you know, after averaging under 30 minutes per game, the last three years in Utah, I, I don't see him going anywhere where he's going to be in a better situation. Yeah. You know, it, it almost seems to me like he's kind of in the like Goran Dragic phase of his career where it's like every year, he's just kind of a higher gun and you can't really depend on him, but when he's healthy, he can still look okay. I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, he's still going to be a good passer. He's going to hit his threes. Um, there are plenty of teams, in the NBA that, that would take, Mike Conley and um, really benefit from it, you know. Would love if the Milwaukee Bucks could get Mike Conley instead of George Hill, but uh, you know that's that's probably unrealistic. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'll have to look into what Conley's situation is. I mean, that would be contract-wise, that is, but that would be a, a great fit for Milwaukee—a a major, major upgrade. If you could go go reunite with Joe Ingles in Milwaukee, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if whether those guys are packaged together, I mean, it's it's the Lakers, of course, you know, smelled blood. Uh, as soon as the Donovan Mitchell trade went down and, you know, there are reports that they're interested in, in Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson, um, you know, I, I assume Utah is just going to keep adding more picks here. Right. I mean, you're, yeah. none of these guys are, are good enough assets that you're going to return a like really high upside young player. So I, I think, well, you know, you're probably not looking at unprotected first or anything like that, but I, I think, you know, by the time, we get to opening night, there's a pretty good chance that they will have added, you know, maybe another two or three protected first round picks to the sport chest. I think they will. Yeah. And I, I, you know, as much as I, I like Colin Sexton and marketing for fantasy fantasy this year, I don't, I don't think they are going to make the jazz win 35 games when the jazz don't want to win 35 games. No, no, the jazz will make sure that doesn't happen. And, you know, they'll, I think they'll be competitive. Um, like, there's enough names on this roster that you know, this isn't going to be a, like, process Sixers type of team. Like, you're not, they're not, we're not going to be, you know, adding players to our database in March, you know, who we've never heard of. And we have to all of a sudden generate projections for. Like, they, they have a bunch of NBA players on the roster, you know, counting the guys that have, that have come in from Minnesota and L.A. and now Cleveland. Um, that they'll, they'll be a, a competent team. I mean, they, the thing is, like you said, they want to be bad. Like they will find ways to make sure that they are one of the three worst teams in the league. I, I think it's pretty obvious that they won in on when um, you know, Scoot Henderson is in this class as well, which by the way, those guys are apparently going to play each other yeah. uh, in, in some like scrimmages or I don't know what this is going to be like, like a G league ignite versus a uh, whatever European team uh, when Benyama plays for in, in early October. So make, make sure we keep an eye on that. But uh, yeah, Utah does not want to be good. That's clearly the case. The question to me is like, so now they're they're what the third team with OKC and New Orleans that has this just insane amount of picks. 
And we OKC is yet to cash them in. You know, if anything, they've just been burning them. It feels like they're, you know, they're making like three or four first round picks every year. Uh, New Orleans kind of standing pat so far as well. Is one of these teams going to step up and and be aggressive and and kind of redistribute these picks and cash them in for, you know, a big time player who hits the market? Or or do you think Utah just, as, as has been the case with most other teams in this situation, just kind of slow play it? I think Utah is going to slow play it. Um, OKC, I could see them pulling the trigger relatively soon. Although this Chet Holmgren situation puts them in an opportunity to lose big time again this year. So it might be, you know, I could see, I could see them after like basically next off season dealing a lot of these picks because then in theory you have SGA, Giddy, Dort, Holmgren, whoever you draft, who could be Wembenyama, and then package a bunch of other picks for someone. And then you become like a real team. So I can see them doing that. Utah, I think, is going to wait. New Orleans, also interesting. I think New Orleans is, they have to really think about cashing in right now because I I really like the team that they have. And if they can somehow you know, upgrade that as I love Herb Jones, but if you can upgrade that small forward spot into a more proven player or like say Kevin Durant, <laughs> like say Kevin Durant, then I think you do it. Yeah, I agree. And maybe we'll find out that they were more in on Durant uh, than, than we came to know. I mean, it, it also, you know, certainly seems like Brooklyn was pushing back, I think more than it seemed uh, when Durant's trade request initially came through, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens with OKC. I mean, maybe maybe they'll just end up making all these picks over the next few years. But we're already seeing it this year, where you know you bring in uh, Jalen Williams, you bring in Usman Jang. Uh, obviously, they they thought Chet Holmgren would be on the court this year. Like, you know, we we had I struggled you know projecting guys like Williams and Jang because you know normally you know, these are these are lottery picks, guys who were taken in the top twelve. You would think they'd be in the rotation, but. All of a sudden, OKC, you know, the roster is so deep with with all these guys who kind of seem like they're all on the same level developmentally that I almost feel like you don't want to run into a situation when, you know, your your 15-man roster, like 11 of your 15 guys have been drafted in the last two, three years. Like, it, it's just, it's hard to develop those guys. It is, but I, I still think they have guys who are just kind of there. Like, I don't, I don't think Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a guy. You know, like I mean, like I don't think well, he's a second rounder, yeah. But I mean, yeah. they just start to add up overall. I mean, right. I yeah. I think they've just been slow to cut people who yeah. I, I don't think I like. I think they would love for these guys to work out, and then maybe they can trade them for more second round picks or something. But yeah. I I think this is less of an issue than uh it it gets brought up to be in general. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, maybe they're well. Other teams are going out and signing. Jeff Green or Jamichael Green to be their eighth man, you know, they're content just giving that spot to a random second rounder. Um, and, yeah. you know, that, that that's life, I guess, as a rebuilding team. Um, all right. So, I mean, Utah fantasy wise, like if you're doing a draft right now, which most people aren't, it's still, it's still early, but we're not that far away. If they don't make any trades in the next two, three weeks, and all of a sudden we, we do start picking up uh, fantasy basketball draft season in earnest, like, how comfortable are you taking any of Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson, et cetera? Uh, those guys I'm worried about. I mean, I think there's probably a safe floor for a lot of those guys. It's hard to know, though. I mean, so like Conley, for example, 
he's been like he ranked 76 last year. I wouldn't love to get him there. You know, like I would rather get closer to 100 uh, for him. You know, I feel like that mitigates some risk with like injury and rest. Mm-hmm. Same with Bogdanovich. You know, he's like, I don't even know if you have to draft him in standard leagues, maybe with the last pick. Jordan Clarkson, he's just going to end up in a six-man role wherever. Um, and he's been like pseudo rel. He's been like a streamer for the past like five years in fantasy. So I, I think Conley's the one guy you can draft. Bogdanovich and Clarkson you can sort of ignore in a standard league. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I certainly don't see myself going out of my way to target any of those guys. I mean, Clarkson still has some appeal, but he's also been in a great spot the last few years in Utah. And, you know, you would think at best he lands uh, in a similar situation. It's hard to imagine him going somewhere where, you know, he's going to have more autonomy to basically run the bench unit like he has in Utah. So the rest of those guys probably stay away for me. I mean, like I said, I, I already um, was frustrated with some of my Mike Conley shares last season. I, I think I'll probably end up backing off him. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As we go through and you know, we're going to do a, an updated top 150 in a couple weeks, we'll, we'll likely be updating that weekly uh, as the, the draft or as opening night, excuse me, approaches. But um, you know, already starting to think about guys we might be moving up or down. And, you know, there's not a lot of news right now. It's not like we have these injuries that are, you know, kind of prompting those moves. But uh, as, you, as you get closer and you start to think about rosters in different ways, um, you know, are there any guys that you find yourself, you know, a, a little bit more uh, attracted to in drafts or guys that you find yourself backing off of? Well, I'm in on Sexton and Marketing this year. 
That's kind of the conversation we just had. But I think Sexton is like a guy you can draft at 75 and Markkanen's a guy you can draft around 100. I don't know if you'll have to draft them there, but I think if you want them, that's fine value based on what they've done in the past because that's about where they've topped out in previous mm-hmm. years and they should both be more prominent in this role than they have been ever before. So I like them there. Other guys who I find myself, like if you look late in drafts, um, I find myself liking Sadiq Bay. Uh, Jeremy Grant's gone. Sure. Who knows about Jaden Ivy? I'm not a, I'm not a Marvin Bagley guy. I think, you know, Bay was like, his shooting was way up and down last year. You know, he's mostly a three point shooter who is not doing great from three for the early part of the year. But he's shown some playmaking stuff. He scored 50 points in that game against the Magic. Um, You know, ranked 108th in fantasy last year. I think there's just potential for him to improve his efficiency and usage. Um, He's going like pick 90 right now in fan tracks, which that's probably fair. But it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up closer to like 70-ish. You know, could he average 19 a game for this team? That kind of sounds crazy because he's relatively unknown. But Jeremy Grant leaving... That opens up like a ton of usage in Detroit that I don't think is going to get filled by, again, Bagley or Isaiah Stewart or necessarily even Jay and Ivy. Yeah, I mean, the question is, like, can you can you lock him into 33 minutes a game like last year, which I, I think Grant leaving certainly helps. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine him playing more than that uh, with some of the additions that they made, but I, I also couldn't really see him falling that much. So, yeah, I, I like that call. Uh, it, you know, if he shoots 38% from three like he did as a rookie, then for sure there, there's a ton of upside there. And I mean, he's also been helped by being super healthy. You know, he, he played 70 games as a rookie and he was one of only a handful of guys to play all 82 last season. And as we've harped on a number of times, like that is, that is becoming more and more of a, a skill that you need to factor in when you're doing these drafts, because we're, I hope at some point we'll see some sort of correction. Um, I, I don't know what that catalyst would be, but you know, right now you could pencil in a lot of guys for, somewhere between like 65 and 75 games max. And it's, it's just rarer and rarer to see guys in the upper seventies, uh, let alone at, at 82. So I think Bay uh, is a pretty good call. What about players who, um, you know, you, you kind of find yourself targeting late in drafts. And again, I know neither of us are, are like pounding out drafts every single day, like we will be as the season approaches, but you know, as you look through our rankings or you look at ADP on other sites, uh, are there players in like the the eighty to one forty range to you're kind of earmarking for for your last pick in some drafts? Yeah, if we're talking like eighty plus, I'll I'll throw out some names and you can grab whatever you whatever you. Okay, uh, I will I will say whether it's a terrible name <laughs> or a good idea by you. So these guys are all going after eighty in on fan tracks right now. Elperin Sangoon, Buddy oh. Heald, Gary Trent, Al Horford. Uh, you can get Gordon Hayward at like 103. Markel Fultz is 113. Um, you know, Trey Jones, 102. Kelly Oubre, 130. That might be kind of sneaky depending on what happens with Miles Bridges. Um, but yeah, Lou Dort at like 130, which kind of surprised me. Hmm. Clay Thompson at 74. Yeah, I mean, Clay. Clay's one of those guys, like he has some sneaky high fantasy finishes just because of the high volume threes. But I, I do think in some ways, like everybody else shooting so many threes has kind of diminished that a little bit. And, and obviously he doesn't offer a whole lot other than points and threes, but I, I always like Clay. I mean, it's just nice to get a guy like that, that late in a draft who 
is if he stays healthy, basically a lock to finish like top five and made threes. I always feel the same way about Buddy Heald. Like you're never going to fall too far in that category when you have those guys on your roster. Shangun falling, I'm seeing him at like, yeah, 79.3 on fan tracks right now. Uh, he's going behind Max Struess. I, I, you know, <laughs> maybe this, maybe this early ADP data uh, has yeah. some bugs, but that one makes no sense at all to me. Um, I, I know he came in probably higher than we expected in, in our initial batch of, of eight cat rankings, but I don't know. I like, I think you said it on the pod, like you read off his projections and nothing really seems all that crazy. A lot of it is just, you know, he was a great per minute player last year. Um, we're not even projecting him to play 30 minutes a game. And, and we still have him, you know, comfortably inside the top 60. So, um, you know, there, there is some risk there. I mean, he's still somewhat of an unknown based on what his role was last year. But I don't really, you know, with Christian Wood out of the picture, is Usman Garuba, is Boban, is Willie Cauley-Stein, or are those guys really eating into his workload? I, I think I think Houston wants him to be a 30 to 35 minute per game guy if he's ready for that. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I don't really know what to think of Garuba. He missed like all of last season with an injury. Yeah. And Boban is, I don't, I don't really understand why they signed him. And Willie Cauley Stein's a camp invite. He may not even make the roster. So yeah, I think they're, everything is setting up for Sangoon. Now, I mean, I always had foul trouble in the past. Um, you know, not a great three point shooter, just, but the upside is just so high. And I think he has a high floor because he's a good passer. And he gets a lot of deflections. Like last year, almost a full block and steal in just 21 minutes a game. So really high floor for him. The, the team is focused on his development. Christian Wood is gone. Jabar, I mean, Jabari Smith's going to take some of Wood's usage, if not you know, nearly all of it, although I have my reservations about Jabari Smith in general. But yeah, Sangoon at 80 is... I, I think some of that might just be, you know, some of these drafts are more casual. I don't know. Be, yeah. Maybe people will just rather take a safer pick um, earlier on. I think there's just other guys people are interested in mm-hmm. around that range, but I, I like him there. Some of the ADP data too. I mean, I don't think it's a, a hot take to, but we're not exposing anybody to say that like, no. it's just not great right now. I mean, like Carmelo Anthony's inside the top 90. Um, so some of it, I always wonder, it's like if, if like certain players haven't been taken in a draft yet, do they just carry over their ADP from last year? Like there's, there's clearly something going on uh, with some of these, but, but for the most part, you know, at least inside the top 50, you do get a, a pretty good uh, sense for, for who's going where uh, I'm seeing Chris Chioza is, is going top 40 right now. Um, <laughs> going to say that that's probably not correct. Um, but yeah, I love Shingun. I, I think there's, there's a ton to like, I actually think he has, as long as he doesn't get hurt, I actually think he has a really high floor. Uh, in terms of what he could do fantasy wise. Like if you're, if you're taking him at like 45 and like really planting your flag, there's a chance that maybe that blows up in your face. But if you're taking him 50, 60, certainly in the seventies or eighties, like I just don't really see that going badly for you. Um, But you know, you and I kind of disagreed about Jalen Brunson, really good player last year uh, in real life, not, you know, good fantasy player, but he was helped immensely by playing a ton of games. I think he only missed like one or two, um, so his per game value and his total value, there's a pretty big gap there. And, you know, we debated on last week's pod, would you rather draft Josh Giddy or Jalen Brunson? And you took that to Twitter and fittingly, we got almost exactly a 50, 50 split. <laughs> yeah, I did. I proposed the question, had everyone just assume eight cat uh, Roto and 45 votes, 51% for Brunson, 49% for Giddy. Um, 
I think I think it's a fair question. I mean, Mike Barner, friend of the pod, brings up the point that if you're worried about the Thunder resting people down the stretch, that might make you lean Brunson. Uh, sure. I also, I, at the same time, like it's some of this to me depends on how much of a leap can RJ Barrett take. I I'm not an RJ Barrett guy. They signed him to a huge deal. Obviously, the Knicks believed in him. Not that they had too much of a choice. Uh, if they weren't going to trade him, but uh, if he just, if they don't trust him as a ball handler, he can't take like a real step forward on that front. It's just going to be Brunson's team. Cause I don't know what Randall's going to do. Um, there's just a lot of question marks. There's question marks on both teams, but um, I think they signed Brunson for a reason. And I think that reason is to basically be their number one option. What do you think about Clint Capella to just go to a completely opposite player <laughs> uh, in the Eastern Conference? <laughs> thank, thank you for that breakdown on Jalen Brunson. Now, Clint Capella. Yeah. Uh, he, so he played 11 more games last year than he did the previous year, and he finished 33 spots lower in total value. Just a really bizarre season for a guy who, in terms of per-game value, was essentially locked into like the 30 to 50 range for four straight years between Houston and his first year in Atlanta. And, you know, last year he was, he was a little banged up, but didn't really miss much time and just, you know, kind of fell off the map as a shot blocker. That's, that's really what changed most. I mean, the free throw percentage went from 57 to 47, which is, you know, like bad to worse. I guess that does matter. Uh, but he's still, you know, still a volume rebounder. Uh, did see his minutes go down about two and a half per game. So you can factor that in, but um, you know, like he came in at like 95 or a hundred or so in our rankings. Like to me, that seems a, a little too low. I, I feel like he's a, a potential bounce back candidate laying in the weeds. The question to me is that at some point, do they unleash on Yaka and, and does he cut into Capella's workload? Yeah. I mean, I think if you can get Capella around the 80 to a hundred range, that's a win. You know, he finished 97th last year in per game value. If you assume even a slight bounce back in blocks, um, he's going to, he's going to crush that value. I I think people still, yes, are worried about Okongwu because Okongwu you know, former sixth round pick has looked pretty good in limited minutes. I mean, blocked just as many shots as Capella did last year, despite the minutes differential. Um, so I think there has to be con some concern there. Capella has dealt with like Achilles soreness for the past few years. That's kind of bizarre. Um, Okong was a better free throw shooter. So maybe he closes games. So there's no like hack of Capella going on. Um, I still think if you can get Capella at pick 90, you just do it. And you don't you don't think about yeah. it too much because he's you know he's he's a double double machine with you know he can get you two blocks good field goal percentage all that. If you can get him that late, I love it. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's dangled in a trade at some point. You know, it's kind of felt like Atlanta has like wanted to trade Capella and or John Collins, and they just like don't want to be the bad guys and actually do it. And it's I mean you have like you said, Akungu has looked, in my opinion, awesome. I, I think he looks like a kind of a, a junior version of Bam Adebayo whenever he's in the game. I, I just, I really can't believe that they haven't made more of an effort, uh, especially with how young Trey Young is and how young DeJounte Murray is and, and DeAndre Hunter. You know, it's like you kind of have this big man who is a lot more versatile than Clint Capella. Like you said, he's comparable as a shot blocker, uh, a lot smoother offensively, just you know, projects to offer so much more on that end of the court. It's, it's kind of crazy to me that they haven't made more of an effort to prioritize him. And I, I, I still think that's hanging over this team. And like at some point, whether it means moving Collins or Capella, like they're going to have to make room for him. It's, it's not like he 
like you said, it's not like he's some random second round pick who's showing some flashes. It's like you drafted this guy inside the top 10 thinking that he was going to be a potential future piece. And I know he's had some injuries that, that have maybe stunted his growth a little bit, but they're just, there just hasn't been much of an effort uh, to develop him. So that, that'll be one to watch for sure. Um, I, I think I'm going to be pretty aggressive targeting Keegan Murray at, at the end, you know, if he's available in like the 90 to 110 range. Uh, and we'll see. I think he's one of those guys, like normally I don't put much stock in preseason whatsoever, but if he comes out and plays a couple preseason games and looks like he did in Vegas, I think people are going to be jumping all over him. Yeah, get up now before preseason, I think is uh... – is your best call. There are some guys uh, who, if you happen to be in drafts before the preseason, you got to just get up before everybody else kind of sees them. I think Murray qualifies as that guy. I'm still a little bit concerned because they have a pretty established offense outside of Murray with Fox, Sabonis, Harrison Barnes. I think Murray's going to fight for that fourth option spot with um, Kevin Herter. Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe he's just as talented as Harrison Barnes already. You know, it's uh it's a, it's, Based on what we saw in Summer League, taking him around pick 100, very defensible, even though his the offense around him is a little more established than like Bancaro or, or Jabari Smith or Benedict Matherin or someone like that. Yeah, there's definitely a ceiling there. Uh, the, the ceiling is way higher for Matherin and way higher for Bancaro uh, in year one. But I, I, I also think pretty high floor um, for, for Keegan Murray. He's just, oh, yeah. just going to step in and I, I think be a really productive role guy right away and, and essentially be fine in that role. Let's talk Ben Simmons again. Um, you know, we, I just, I don't even know, man. We, we kind of had it out on, on Simmons last week and y- you put up another interesting poll. Uh, who would you rather draft in, in, in fantasy eight category Roto? And this was what I, I think on Sunday or Monday and Ben Simmons or Tyler hero was the question. And inexplicably Ben Simmons won this poll by a 58 to 42 margin. I was a little surprised. I mean, they're close in ADP, which is why I proposed the question in the first place. Um, You know, Simmons ADP right now, 69. uh, Heroes, 82, actually. This is on fan track. So going like a full round later than Ben Simmons, Tyler Hero is. I mean, I think... I think that's – I would love to see those flipped. I think those should be flipped. I, I think you should draft Hero around the 60 mark, and I think Simmons around 80 is great. I think that's really good value for both those guys. I know the upside in theory is higher with Simmons because he's done it before, uh, but I it's just such a question mark. You know, I think Hero obviously has a higher floor. He was the 66th-ranked player last year per game. I don't think he's getting worse. I think Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry are getting older. They are going to rest games. They are going to miss time. And then Hero is the number one offensive option by a significant margin, um, at least as a guard or a, a ball handler on that team. So there's going to be plenty of high upside games for him. I know Durant and Kyrie are also candidates for miss, for miss games, but there's just so many question marks around Simmons. So I, I would flip their ADPs. It, it was just surprising that, that Ben Simmons won the poll, even though people are relatively down on him. Yeah, relatively down, I think, might be an understatement. He was booed at the U.S. <laughs> Open a couple of days ago. Like, good good on him for showing his face uh, in the city of New York. I I don't There's reports that, you know, that he's, he's got the jumper, finally. Uh, he's been working uh, on it. Not only can he shoot, but he's a, quote, lethal shooter. Lethal. Uh, I would I would take the under on any number of made threes for Ben Simmons this year. 
I'm just not doing it. I mean, obviously there's, there's a, a point where I'll take just about anybody, but I, I don't think I would take Ben Simmons inside the top 100 at this point. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how you could really see any upside here based on everything that we know about this guy, everything that happened last year, the absolute best case scenario for me is he, he returns to being like 90% of what he was in his peak Philly days. And, you know, that's a guy that, that can help you in a lot of categories and is, is probably a better real life player than a fantasy player. But I don't know, like, is he really going to average eight assists a game on a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Is he going to get back to being a guy who could get you almost two steals a game who blocks shots, who, you know, rebounds. Well, I just, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't see it ever happening. I, he's obviously he's going to play in NBA games and I, I have no idea where the rest of his career is going to go, but I, I would be surprised if he ever returns to being the guy that he was his first three years in the league. The assist will be tough. Uh, you know, I think there's good potential for his rebounding to bounce back. I think he could be like, um, you know, a defensive stopper. I don't think that necessarily is going to go away as much as his offense has become an issue. So, you know, I, we differ on this. I see a little more upside than you, but you're right. It's just at some point, if you're drafting Simmons, if you're drafting Ben Simmons at, uh, you know, in the late sixties, you have, you have other options along that range, like Jalen Brunson, like Josh Giddy. You can get Mikhail Bridges in that range. You can draft Clay Thompson three rounds later. Um, Tyrese Maxey is also going around that range. So, like, I understand wanting all of those guys over Ben Simmons. November 22nd, Nets at Sixers. Make sure you circle that one. That will yeah. be – Will do you, is it a lock to you that Ben Simmons plays in that game if oh, he's healthy? Like, would it shock you if, if you know, the, the back maybe starts hurting a little bit? They it could. Yeah, I mean it's the first night of a back to back. Yeah, they got to oh. play at they got to play at Toronto the next night. Ooh, weather, yeah, weather's starting to get cold. You know, yep. the joints start to act up. Yeah, that yeah. could be tough. Yeah, it would, would be a real shame if he you know had a uh, what do you call it inconclusive COVID test. You know, right, that'd be, <laughs> yeah. be a tough time for that to happen. Uh, you mentioned Gordon Hayward earlier. I think Gordon Hayward is pretty close to landing on the will not draft under any circumstances list. And I put Kevin Love on that list last year and then somehow ended up picking him up off waivers one week into the season in stake yeah. league. Uh, that's how awry things went almost immediately. But I mean, Hayward to me, like I, I like him. Like I, I feel like I always end up having him on a team or two because he falls. Everybody knows about the injury risk, but I mean, we're going on what for the last five years. I mean, he's missed almost half the season and that's counting the Boston year when he, he only played one game. And you know that kind of felt like the true turning point in his career. And, you know, I mean, on a per game basis, he's looked really good when he's been out there. It's just, it just feels like a time bomb. Yeah, this depends on the Miles Bridges situation. If Bridges is out the entire year, I think Hayward, you can pull the trigger as soon as pick 100 happens. I think, um, I know the injuries are a concern. I'm also worried about them, but almost anything goes after that point, after pick 100. And, yeah. um, Hayward, you know, he ranked 84th last season per game. Not great, but I also think some of that was Bridges' emergence. Um, you know, I, I agree. Some of the the injuries are just going to start adding up like they have with Kevin Love, and he's just not going to be as productive. But if uh, if Bridges is gone, you know, Cody Martin's going to step up, and I think there's a point where you can also draft Kelly Oubre, who's had some oh, pretty yeah. solid seasons in the past. But, you know, I – so, you know, Hayward, Oubre – I think both those guys are on the table after pick 100 if Bridges is out for the year. 
That's an interesting one because I, I obviously Hayward's the better player. And I, I think, you know, if it's, if there's a 20% chance that he plays 70 games, like the upside is definitely there. I, I still think I would lean toward the wave poppy though. Like he, yeah. he played pretty well last year. He had a, a hit a ton of threes, really shot the ball, you know, high volume. Um, and you know, with bridges, I don't know what, like we need to, we need to get in contact with the league office and get some sort of update here because I, I don't I have no idea how to handle this whatsoever. And, you know, you're, you'll see him in ADP reports. Like he's going to be drafted, um, you know, in some ways it's like the Deshaun Watson situation in the NFL. But the big difference there is that like the equivalent to that would be miles bridges having the situation happen. And then like the next day still signing a max extension with the Hornets. Like the, the thing to me that makes this so tough to figure out is that he's not technically on a, on a roster. Yeah. I have no idea how to approach this. Again, if it's after pick 100, I'm not going to say don't do it. Yeah. But anything before that to me is, I, I just wouldn't, just wouldn't do it. What about uh, Anthony Simons? Ooh. You know, he, he's hanging out around 120 overall in our rankings. I, I think that's fair. I mean, he's a guy whose game doesn't necessarily lend super well to fantasy. Uh, you know, he showed, showed a little bit more chops as a passer last year, but you would think those assist numbers come down uh, now that Damian Lillard is, is on the court for 36, 37 minutes a game. Uh, you know, high volume three-point shooter doesn't really do anything on defense, doesn't really rebound. Uh, field goal percentage tends to be sub 45. Is a good free throw shooter, you know, doesn't get to the line a ton. Uh, but, it, you know, did he show enough last year to, to kind of warrant a bigger role? Or is this a situation where, based on how the roster is built, like he's just, there's, there's just going to be a ceiling on what he can do? I'm okay assuming that he's going to do essentially what he did. Like, if you just take his season averages from last season across the whole year, you know, the games that he played with Lillard, without Lillard, just the 57 games he played, I'm fine with assuming that's what he's going to average this year because it's another year of development for him. Uh, I think he's established as the number two option in the offense behind Lillard. Uh, at the same time, you know, they, I mean, they have Jeremy Grant there is now, Josh Hart, Nurkic. Like, it's just, they're not tanking. So, like, he's not going to average what he did at the end of last season when he was constantly putting up, like, 25 points, six assists, you know, hitting, like, I don't even know how many threes, like four threes a game. That's not going to happen. But he is the number two option on their offense and ranked 104th per game last year. So, again, you want to take him around that range, that's fine. I think there's a chance he could finish even a little inside that. Right. I mean, it's, you know, the roster is not that much different than it was during the peak Lillard McCollum days. So, you know, the, the ultimate upside is like, can, can Simons ever do what McCollum did? Right. You know, which was, that was a guy that you're taking, you know, what around pick 50, maybe, maybe some yeah. years, even a little before that. Um, I, I don't think he ever gets there. He's just not that kind of all around player. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy that I would you know, certainly after pick a hundred for sure. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a decent amount of upside there and, I also think he operates as, I, I mean, personally, I think Lillard's going to be fine. I, I think, you know, last year was just kind of a blip on the radar. But if, if you do think that there's any chance that this becomes, you know, a, a health issue trend for Lillard as he moves into his 30s, you know, then you, Simons has a ton of upside should Lillard end up missing time. Do you have any interest in Shaden Sharp this year? No. No, <laughs> me neither. Dynasty leagues, absolutely. For this year, I don't really, I, I, I feel like, there's still this mystery element around him. Like it was almost good for him that he got hurt and barely played in summer league. I still, I feel like people are going to take him with the last pick in a draft. And I, I don't know. I, 
I hope he makes an impact this year. I, I just don't really see that happening. They signed Gary Payton for a decent chunk of money. I think he's going to play. Uh, Josh Hart, I think he's going to play some guard. Uh, I've heard some positive things about Keon Johnson. Oh, yeah. So I just don't know. I don't think there's room for Sharp. I mean, could he come in and play 14 minutes a game or something like that? Sure. But fantasy relevant, that would be legitimately shocking. I know he has a better pedigree than this guy, but it, it kind of reminds me of the Cam Thomas situation in Brooklyn right. where remember when he got drafted and they're like, oh man, this guy's going to be perfect. He's going to come in and you know he'll be their six man and play like 25 minutes a game. And he just was not ready and like still might not even be ready. Um, and I, you know, developmentally, I, I think, you know, Sharp is probably even behind, uh, you know, where, where Cam Thomas was, who was like you know, one of the best scores in the country at LSU uh, and, and Sharp, you know, long-term could, could be a lot better than that. But this is also a Blazers team that isn't exactly interested in, you know, handing some rookie 25 minutes to see what he is. Like, I, I think they want to win games. No, it's kind of like the Wiseman situation in Golden yes. State. It's like, yes. yeah, we drafted him high, but if he's not ready, he's just not going to play that much. Like, he's just going to be a rotation player for us. We have, we have blinders on in terms of his potential, and we are just playing him as is. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, a couple more guys, and then we'll get out of here. Kyle Kuzma, coming off of a you know by far career season in Washington, uh, his per game rank you know went from 154 with the Lakers in 2020-21 to 72 with Washington last season. You know some extenuating circumstances. Uh, you know Kristaps Porzingis didn't join this team until late in the season. Brad Beal missed a ton of time. This was like just felt like a rudderless team for most of last season. Um, so I, I, I don't know that he'll necessarily have quite as much freedom this time around. I mean, Rui Hachimura was also like away from the team to begin the year. It was just, just a, a unique set of circumstances. They also added Will Barton. Um, you know, you have guys like Denny Avdia, Corey Kispert, you know, former first round picks who are still on this roster. Uh, you know, do you, do you think Kuzma has a season closer to what we saw last year or does he regress and, and finish outside the top 100? I think he's outside the top 100. Um he really, and I mean, really inflated his stats once Brad Beal went out, big time. Like you look at, you look at Kuzma's first thirty-two games, so October through December, it's fourteen points on forty-three percent shooting, eight boards, three assists, and that would be like pretty much on par with those last two seasons in LA, a little bit better. But he ranked like one fifty, the one like I just. I think he'll be good. Like you can draft him again outside of the top 100, do it. But I would, it would not shock me if he finished like 150. I just think, I mean, you know, who knows about Porzingis's health, but they also, I mean, Hachimura was pretty encouraging last year as a defender. He's a little interesting. Um, or excuse me, Avdia. Did I say Avdia? Either way, they have Avdia and Hachimura on the team uh, who are intriguing in their own rights. And then also Porzingis. So I think there's a, I think Kuzma's going to have a little bit of a regression here. All right. Let's, let's just turn to the sports book real quickly. And then, then we'll hop out of here. Who's your favorite uh, NBA title bet right now? Uh, either team that you think is going to win or your favorite bet. I like 76 or 17 to one. I, I feel like I'm a broken record about the 76ers title odds. I feel like I was also saying this last year, but um I just think they're they have they have so much talent. I mean, their their top four is awesome. One of the most talented top fours in the NBA. 
Uh, you have, yeah, obviously with Embiid and Hargan, Maxi's really good. Harris is solid. They added depth. I really liked what they did in the offseason, getting DeAnthony Melton. That's huge. PJ Tucker, that's a that's a really nice addition. Daniel House underrated. They still have Thibault. I think they're going to be an elite defensive team. Their offense is obviously extremely high potential. You just worry about Harden and Embiid's health to some extent, but their upside is as high as any teams in the NBA if it all works out. So 17 to 1, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. I, I think that number is uh, you know, way too high. You'll see it at 14 to 1 at some other books. That's a, that's a little more realistic, but I would rather bet the Sixers at 17 to 1 than, than the Suns, you know, at, at 10 to 1. Uh, certainly more than the Nets at 7 to 1. Um, and, and part of it is the East is just so stacked at the top. You know, it's like I, I also love the Bucks at 8 to 1. So if I love the Bucks at 8 to 1, then I can't really say I love the Sixers uh, at 17 to 1 because I, I think the Bucks are the better team. And of course, we have the Celtics, you know, sitting there at, at about 5 to 1 at most books. I mean, Miami this year, I, I could see it. Um, I mean, they were really close last year to making the finals and it felt like a lot of things did not go their way health wise last season. Yeah. So if they stay a little healthier, it's easy to see them uh, taking a slight jump forward. But, you know, for some of these teams, like I, I was really pounding the drum for, you know, betting, betting the heat to win the finals like a month ago when I thought that they maybe would get Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell, you know, now that those pieces are off the table, it becomes a little less appealing uh, to make some of those speculative bets. I don't know if I would touch any team. I think the Nuggets at 21 to 1 on FanDuel, that's probably where I draw the line. I will I will not get suckered into even talking about the Lakers title odds. Um and you know, teams that are longer than that are, you know, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Cavs, Timberwolves, Hawks, Pelicans, Raptors. Yeah, I also would entertain the Nuggets. I'm a little worried about the Grizzlies this year with the Jaron Jackson injury. Um I don't think they're gonna miss the playoffs, but I haven't even looked at their win total. I could be an under situation, honestly. But yeah, I mean, after that, you're talking, you know, Mavericks and people are just going to bet the Mavericks because Luka Doncic um, and the Timberwolves are a little intriguing. But again, this isn't I, I don't really feel like these teams are true title contenders. No, I I feel like Memphis had some opportunities to improve this roster. And instead, you know, they let some guys go. They they brought in a few guys, you know, David Roddy, Jake LaRavia through the draft we'll see you know they've drafted really well so they deserve the benefit of the doubt but I don't feel it, it felt like they were that team that with maybe one more guy you know they, they could make the leap to true title contender and I, I just don't feel like they got better and you know Jaron Jackson missing as much time as he'll likely miss is a, a pretty big hit and you know if Morant misses time again which I think he's just going to be one of those guys you know he's 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 a grinder but he's also just has the body type and the the play type uh, of a guy who's going to miss 10, 15, maybe more games each year just because of the the hits that he takes and the angles that he takes. You know, they're not going to go, what were they last year, like 21 and three or something without him? Like that's not happening again. If <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was really bizarre. I think I think there's a there's there's reasons to take the under on the Grizzlies win total. But yeah, I mean, there's also a reason the they uh, committed so much money to Tyus Jones as a backup. True. Yeah. True. Um, last thing, where do you come in on the Clippers? I... I think I'm going to plant my flag right now as a, a Clippers are slightly overrated guy. It's hard. I mean, I'd rather, so I'd rather bet them to like win the NBA title than go over their win total because of all the rest days that I think Kawhi is going to get and Paul George injury pro and stuff like that. I think their ceiling is really high. So I'd like them. Um, you know, I think they might be the deepest team in the league. I, as much as, as as much as the John Wall acquisition may not work out, 
who cares? Like it's they they just got him for free to a team that was already good. I mean, this team was you know it's just this team was already great last year. Like Ty Lue is such a great coach. They won 42 games last year, which isn't amazing, but that's without Kawhi Leonard. So you're adding Kawhi Leonard to a game or a team, excuse me. You're adding Kawhi Leonard to a team that already won 42 games. They only had Paul George for 31 games. And then you also take some flyers with John Wall. You have, you added Robert Covington to the mix. Norman Powell, six man of the year candidate, maybe. I, I don't know, man. I really like them. I like him. I maybe I keep forgetting that Norman Powell and, and Covington are on this team. So yeah, maybe that's just part of it. But I'm just I'm not that high on like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and Amir Oh, I'm not either. And, but they're like, like ninth and tenth guys. Yeah, yeah. But that that's always the argument that you hear is like, oh, they're so deep. It's like, okay, well, yeah, we're counting like Nick Batum and Marcus Morris. Like, I don't, I don't know. Those those are just guys to me. It comes down to Kawhi. Like, if Kawhi looks like 2020 Kawhi, then yeah, absolutely. Like whatever team he's on is automatically in the mix. Um, and yeah, Paul George is probably not going to play 31 games again. So I, I get that. Um, I don't know. I, I just, to me, they, they shouldn't be, uh, they should be ahead of the Warriors at some books. Like I, I think the Warriors are a much, much safer bet. Uh, and, and again, part of this is the way that the conferences are weighted right now. You know, there are like right. five or six really good teams in the East and there might only be three or four really good teams in the West. And depending on what you think of the Suns, that number could be a little bit lower. So I, I understand the odds, but uh, you know, you're, you're just putting a lot on, on a guy who did not play at all last year, uh, has had significant injuries, you know, to his lower body, is in his 30s. Uh, Paul George, you know, super banged up as well. Um, so I don't know. I just I feel like I just keep hearing people talk about the Clippers as a sure thing. And I understand it, but I, I'm not quite ready to go there. I wish the odds weren't seven to one. Let's put it that way. If they were like 10 to one, I'd be all over it. But I don't I don't like I like the Clippers, but I don't think I would bet the number. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I mean, if John Wall looks like even 70% of old John Wall, that changes things quite a bit as well, because, you know, for as as great as Reggie Jackson can be like one out of every five games, I think adding some stability at point guard would be massive for them, but we got to get out of here, man. Uh, Great talking hoops with you as always. When are you starting up the Friday pod with Ken and Shannon? This Friday. This Friday. Okay. I thought that might be the case. Awesome. So you can listen to that. On Friday, uh, pretty soon here, you know, we'll be back to our three episodes per week rotation. Uh, I'll be on with James in the next week or two uh, doing our our win total pods. Uh, That'll be one for the East, one for the West. We'll really start ramping things up uh, as we move into the NFL season and and get week one past us. So very much looking forward to that. And and as always, make sure you're checking out all of our NBA content over at rotowire.com slash basketball. Uh, We put some tiers up over the last few days. You just highlighted a bunch of your favorite sleepers for this year. We got a ton of betting content up there as well. So make sure you're checking that out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.